This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Tuesday, October 18th, just after 4 o'clock Eastern time here. And I thank you so much for tuning into the program today. I want to talk for pretty much the entirety of the show about the Public Order Emergency Commission, which right now is underway in Ottawa. And uh, all day we've been hearing from Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson, who's been uh, testifying about a number of things, which we'll get to. We've got lots of clips. Last week we heard about the horror that is phantom honking and microaggressions, which I don't think are spelled out as justification for the Emergencies Act. I may have to reread the act, but I actually don't think those are part and parcel of it here. But I, I want to talk about some of the micro details that have come out here and also some of the bigger picture discussions and, and what it is that's really at stake. And I want to get right into the thick of it here. I'm joined by Adam Blake Gallipo, who is a lawyer with the Democracy Fund, which uh, you will actually be hearing from and have already heard from in the course of these hearings. Adam, good to talk to you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here. Let's just start right out of the gate with a bit of a housekeeping note here. What is the Democracy Fund's role in these hearings and before the commission? Yeah, so um, uh, good question. So we, we, we share standing uh, right now uh, with the JCCF and another organization. Um, so we, we are not... Uh, we are not. We, we don't have full uh, uh, party status uh, as as uh, many of the other. You know, Ben Miller uh, is, is is convoy coalition has. Um, however, we we do have a significant role here, and uh, as as we were discussing just before this started, um, uh, Mr. Alan Honor, our uh, litigation director, was just uh, cross examining uh, Mayor Watson. Um, so it it's it's uh, yeah it's it's a it's a privilege to be part of this. Um, but uh, we we we're here to uh, to seek um, answers uh, with respect to uh, the invocation of the act, just just like everybody else is, and, and I'm certain all of your viewers are as well. The d level of detail that we're coming getting out of this, and I, I should note, seven weeks of hearings. We're on day four right now. Some of the detail has been very granular, which you want, but a lot of it I also feel is very extraneous. I mean, the fundamental question that this commission is by statute supposed to assess is whether the use of the Emergencies Act was justified. Now, I know the Liberal government has on top of that heaped through an order in council a number of other goals for the commission, like to investigate the source of funding and investigate the convoy itself. But, but really, the key question here is, was the Emergencies Act justified? And a lot of the testimony, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't really seem to answer that question question or contribute to an answer no you're yeah i i yeah i i uh i completely agree with your your assessment there andrew um 
the evidence that we've seen um, so far, I mean, since evidence has been presented, which has just been, what, as of today, two days uh, in total, uh, has, has been uh, re replete with hearsay and, uh, and, and, and sort of redundance. I mean, we haven't, you know, and, and like you said at the outset, we're only on, uh, what is this, day four. So there's a, a lot to come, um, but as, as it stands, I mean, we, we don't have anything uh, we can really sink our teeth into at this point. I think the most significant uh, sort of telling features that the uh, that have transpired to date uh, have been in the op opening statements, uh, to be frank. Elaborate on that. What statements particularly did you feel were really noteworthy? Sure. Well, Okay, so so, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'll I'll admit that um, you know, going into this, I assumed there was going to be roughly speaking uh, two sides, right? You're going to have the sort of civil liberties oriented sides with, uh, with JCCF, obviously ourselves, um, um, the uh, the protesters, and then the other side, which would include the government entities, and I'm including the police as uh, as part of that group. Um, right, the competing sides are, you know, lawful invocation of the act versus, you know, no, this act was unlawfully uh, in invoked in this context. That's not what we're seeing. Um, what, what we're seeing uh, is, and, and you know, I, I'm the first to admit that I, you know, I was, I was kind of blindsided by this. Um, we're, we're seeing um, the police and 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 sort of uh, government branches. Um, Entering into a more uh, uh, nuanced discussion through their cross examination and their and their sort of trajectory in cross examination has been such that the they're seeking to preserve their reputations, right? Which of <laughs> course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Of course, this is something that they would be looking to do, right? Um, especially you've got a representative for for uh, uh, Chief Slowly, uh, you know, in in attendance as well. So so. Reputation is something that is on the table that you know I, I probably should have foreseen, but but admittedly didn't. Um, so now, and and of course, when you've got reputation on the table, and there's arguments with respect to okay, well, did ops do enough in in this particular context? Um, you, you you've got competing argu competing arguments, and and if ops didn't do enough, or if they did, let's say, well then well then somebody dropped the ball over here. So it the reputational argument turns into uh, or, or, or sort of rather is at odds with uh, with uh, other interests of other government entities, if I'm making sense. Yeah, you, you are. And I, I would point out, I, I sort of saw something similar because it, it's sometimes more revealing than what the witnesses are saying, even to look at the questions that various lawyers are asking. And, and when you look at, for example, Peter Slowly's lawyer coming up to question the Ottawa Police Service, it's almost comical how transparent his agenda is or, or questioning Jim Watson, because, you know, the question that he's asked of like pretty much every witness, is, would you agree that your interactions with, you know, Chief Slowly were always professional and that he was always great and he's a nice guy? Like, so he, there is a little bit of arse covering by various uh, divisions of, of this. And, and interestingly enough, though, 
that may be very revealing for people, but I still don't think that gets to that fundamental question of was there a national emergency at stake here? And I, I want to put to you and, and those listening the text of Section 3 in the Emergencies Act that for the purposes of this act, a national emergency is an urgent and critical situation of a temporary nature that seriously endangers the lives, health, or safety of Canadians and is of such proportions or nature as to exceed the capacity or authority of a province to deal with it or seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada and that cannot effectively be dealt with under any other law of Canada. And I think that's the, one of the critical parts of this year. If you look at governments that are unable to solve this problem, that police not being able to do it by incompetence, does that satisfy that? If, if they had the legal means available, but for political reasons, they weren't able to come up with what they needed? Well, I mean, if you're asking me, uh, no, no, of course it doesn't satisfy that. I mean, you've got, you know, Windsor is case in point. Right, Windsor. Uh, the the pro the the protesters were, um, at, at, as stated in, uh, in in opening statements, um, it's a it's a success story according to um, police services, and and this uh, the the last of the protesters, to my knowledge, and uh, you know I, I can be corrected here, the last of the protesters were removed on February thirteenth, which is a day before the Emergencies Act was invoked. So if they were able to successfully remove the uh, trucks and, and, and protesters, uh, you know, that were allegedly blocking the ambassador bridge. Um, we saw the response, we saw the police response, there was, um, you know, sufficient coverage. Uh, why, why was it then uh, necessary to invoke the Emergencies Act for a situation like Ottawa? Um, and, and and this is exactly this is exactly to your point. So we've got we've got competing, and again, this is this this goes back to what what we were talking about earlier. We've got competing interests here. We've got uh, police services that are saying, "Well, look at Windsor. Windsor, um, you know, was handled uh, beautifully. There was no. Uh, this is not me saying this. Uh, this is in opening statements. You know, Windsor is a, a is is sort of uh, an ideal situation. Everybody was cleared out without the invocation of the Emergencies Act." So then what sort of needs to be revealed, I think, uh, in order to satisfy uh, certainly in your, your viewers and certainly individuals watching this, but also this should be uh, prevalent on the mind of the uh, commissioner, is why was it not necessary uh, in Windsor, but it is necessary in Ottawa? And hopefully uh, through the course of the next, what we have here, five and a half weeks, we can, we can get some answers with respect to that question. I just want to, for, for context here, put a, a clip forward here. This is a clip from your colleague, uh, Alan Honor, litigation director at the Democracy Fund. And he puts, I think, in, in his opening statement, a, a very fine point on, on why it is that we are all here. And I, I want to play that clip for uh, you in the audience now. Good morning, Commissioner. Good morning, everyone. My name is Alan Honor, and I am the litigation director for the Democracy Fund. The Democracy Fund is a registered charity and a civil liberties organization. As you've heard, we're sharing standing with the JCCF and with Citizens for Freedom. Our interest in this inquiry arises from our legal work. In February of 2022, we sent lawyers to Ottawa and to Windsor 
to provide demonstrators with legal information about their rights when protesting, as well as the limitations of those rights. Around the same time, we were granted intervener status as a friend of the court at the Superior Court of Justice in, the Win in Windsor over the Ambassador, Ambassador Bridge injunction proceeding. Currently, we represent dozens of persons who have been criminally charged in relation to the protests at Ottawa, Windsor, and Coots. And we represent thousands of others who have been charged under the Quarantine Act or provincial offences related to the pandemic. We've also brought applications between, before Superior Courts and the Federal Court of Canada, challenging laws related to the pandemic. Our objective is to participate in the fact-finding process of this inquiry, particularly as it relates to uncovering the truth about why the federal government invoked a public order emergency and how they used their powers. From our perspective, the government did not meet the requisite legal grounds to invoke a public order emergency for the same reasons you heard from Council for the Freedom Corps. It follows that the extraordinary measures the government invoked were therefore inappropriate and indeed outside their jurisdiction. Our questions and our submissions will focus on these central issues. Thank you. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because what your colleague points out there is that there are a number of fronts for the battles right now underway. We have Quarantine Act charges. There are criminal charges emerging from the convoy protests. There are constitutional challenges. There's a parliamentary inquiry. There's there's this thing here. And I, I think all of them are important in some way. But, but this, to me, is the simplest of them all. And it's the most important because really it's, it's, it's not about, there, there's no Section 1 that can save the government here. There, there isn't, uh, you know, a body of case law really behind it. It's a new law that hasn't really been tested in this forum ever. And it's a fundamentally simple question, is it not? I mean, okay, so let's, let's unpack that, Andrew, um, you know, as long as we've got the time here. Um, so, so first, you know, upon the invocation uh, of, of the Emergencies Act, uh, and in this, to be specific, in this case, it's a public order emergency uh, under the Act, um, the government has to establish on reasonable grounds that um, a public order emergency exists and, it, and necessitates the taking of uh, uh, special temporary measures in, in dealing with the emergency. Um, so the situation's got to be, you know, um, to the point where it cannot be effectively dealt with uh, under any other law in Canada. Um, so so if we're if we're going to the definition uh if we're looking at the if we're going to look at the meat and potatoes of this and we're going to look at the definition here um the definition of a public order emergency is an emergency that arises from uh and i'm so one threats to the security of canada right and which are so serious as to be a two national emergency right so the threats to the security of Canada is defined under the Can uh, Canadian Security Intelligence Services Act. Okay, there are four uh, sort of um, uh, subpoints to that that subsections to that definition. Um, espionage or sabotage is one of them. Foreign influenced activities uh, within or relating to Canada activities um, uh, that uh, are directed towards or in support of the threat or use of 
uh, acts of serious violence against persons or property uh, for the purpose of achieving political, religious, or ideological uh, objectives. Um, and then finally, uh, activities directed toward undermining, toward undermining um, by covered unlawful acts, uh, the destruction or overthrow by violence of the constitutionality of the established government of Canada. Okay, so obviously, you know what what you know sort of uh, to 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 sort of summarize. It's it's a very high it's a very high threshold, right? Um, so and and then part two of that was the national emergency. So let's look at the definition of that. It is an urgent and critical situation of a temporary nature that either a seriously endangers the lives health or safety of canadians and is of such proportions or nature as to exceed the capacity or authority of a province to deal with it or b seriously threatens the ability of the government of canada preserve the so to pre preserve the sovereignty uh, security and territorial integrity of canada right so this is the definition and this is th these are the definitions both need to be satisfied uh, by this commission in order to in order for the commission to arrive at a finding of the act being lawfully invoked in this context. Um, so that's what we need to keep coming back to. This is what I think we need to keep in our minds when we're viewing this um, to ask these questions and, and, and think to ourselves, are these being satisfied? Is this line of questioning answering and supporting these uh, necessities by the, by the legislation as it stands. I don't want you to give up any legal strategy here that would disadvantage you in the future, but are you able to give a bit of a sense uh, of what it is that you think is really the fundamental narrative here that uh, people need to understand that really will support the position that you're laying out? I mean, look, so, um, and, and this is just coming off of, uh, yeah, you know, Alan Honor's, uh, cross-examination and it seems to be a, i mean look we're at day four so it's it, it's 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 tough um but um it it seems to me as of as of today that there are no uh sort of uh, uh there hasn't been any testimony that has been a direct ob observations of any violence and as we heard in the definition of a national emergency um Violence is something that that is is a requirement. I mean, unless I'm misreading this, it's it's something that that needs to be uh, sort of present in in, in order for uh, uh, this to be engaged lawfully. Um, you know, and, and then uh, but you know the issue obviously there is is uh, what what is the definition of, of of violence? I mean, we've heard a lot of testimony with respect to microaggressions. Does that amount to to violence? Um, you know, it, it's it's um, so 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 yeah. In, in any event, it's that that's that's where we're at right now. Um, I I'd be interested to see and and as this plays out, what what I'd like to see from this commission is and, and like to hear from it is whether there are any firsthand reports of violence. We haven't heard any today. I'd like to know more about uh, the seizure of bank accounts um, and and who requested because this is another contentious issue is who requested the Emergencies Act be invoked in the first place. Um, I'd like to see more testimony uh, specifically in relation to that. Um, so you know uh, it, it's um, so anyway that's that that's where we're at. I, I don't think I've uh, I hope I've answered your question.
You did, and I don't think you blew your case in the process, so I appreciate it very much. Uh, we'll certainly have you and your colleagues back on as we cover this over the next uh, six weeks now. Adam Blake Gallipo of the Democracy Fund, and uh, I also, in a moment, have a clip of your colleague cross-examining uh, Jim Watson as well, which I think speaks to that very point. Adam, thanks so much for your time and great work on this. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. All right. Thanks very much. That is Adam Blake Gallopo from the Democracy Fund. Now, this is fun. I haven't actually seen this clip because I was like just about to go on air and this clip came down the pipeline. So I get to react in real time, which I never get to do. But as I understand it, this is exactly what Adam was just talking about. And Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa, again, resorting to hearsay, talking about violence, which no one has actually seen. So let's play this clip from uh, just under an hour ago. Mayor Watson, let me just ask you, um, you told us earlier today um, where evidence came out that um, these, these protesters, they were, they were nasty, um, they were hateful and they were, they were vulgar, is that right? Yes. And you said that you saw, um, or you said that they had um, ripped masks off of people? Yes. Did you actually see that? No, I saw it reported in the media. Okay. And I, I think you also said that certain people were attacked. Is that right? Uh, I didn't say that. No, I, I said that I had death threats, but I wasn't physically attacked. No, I didn't say that you were attacked, but you said that these protesters were attacking people. Did you not say that? No. They were disrupting people's lives, that's for sure. And uh, they refused on at least three occasions that I'm aware of that they refuse to adhere to mm. the provincial mandate of wearing a mask when going into a, mm. a shop or a restaurant. So you're not aware of any incidents of physical violence from the protesters? Well, you'd have to ask the police. I know they arrested a couple hundred people and charged a couple hundred people. I don't know what the charges were, so I'm not privy to that information. According to your knowledge? You don't know of any? So I don't know any of any physical attacks, uh, not to my own personal knowledge. No. All right. Thank you. Those are my questions. Interesting. So it's easy to talk a big game about all the violence on the streets of Ottawa, about these protesters going out and just ripping people's masks off and all of that. But, but, oh, do you know anything about it? Yeah. No, the media got it from the media. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Okay, well, what about the physical attacks? Do you know anything about that? Well, you got to talk to police. And I bet when we have the police witnesses testifying and they're asked the same question, they're going to be like, I don't know, talk to Jim Watson. It's just like everyone's just pointing at every other direction for this. Same as like trying to figure out who invoked the Emergencies Act is like going on a fishing expedition because no one actually asked for it. No one asked for the Emergencies Act. It came from the government of Canada. 
And this is something that we saw months ago whenever police agencies were testifying before Parliament, before that parliamentary committee that was investigating. We'd find out that the uh, police, which Marco Mendicino and Justin Trudeau said asked for the Emergencies Act, couldn't actually find a single police officer that wanted it. The RCMP commissioner says, no, it wasn't us. The OPP commissioner says, no, it wasn't us. The Ottawa police chiefs, all three of them say, no, it wasn't us. And Jim Watson, I don't know if we have the, the clip of Jim Watson. I think we do. Jim Watson, this is from this morning, saying that he also did not request the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Now, on February 14th, we know that the Emergencies Act was invoked. Uh, were you consulted on, uh, on the invocation of the Emergencies Act before it was invoked? No, I wasn't. Okay. Did the city request that it be invoked? No. Did the city weigh in on whether it was required, necessary, or needed? Well, when it was released, I think, like most people, uh, very few people knew exactly what the Emergencies Act was, to be perfectly honest. I remember growing up in Quebec what the War Measures Act was and the implications that had for uh, the province of Quebec and the rest of the country. But um, no one had raised uh, the Emergencies Act with us. Uh, but when it was um, invoked uh, and uh, I was briefed on what its powers were, uh, I thought this is a very positive step to getting this situation resolved once and for all because of the provisions in the Act. So I very much uh, supported it and I uh, was, um, uh, as you may recall, uh, the, the, ch the current chair of the Police Services Board, Eli Elshantir, and I sent a letter to the Prime Minister thanking him for invoking the Act because it actually acted as the catalyst for us to move forward and get that uh, whole situation uh, in the downtown core resolved once and for all and give people their street and their homes back. So what Jim Watson said there is that, yeah, when he learned about it, when he found out the government was already doing it, he was supportive of it. But he, he was like, no one's even heard of this thing before. How do we ask for this thing no one had ever heard of, which I found quite interesting. So Ottawa didn't ask for it. Yesterday, Ontario Premier Doug Ford reminded us all, which I, I don't think he should be bragging about, that uh, he supported the use of it, but didn't request it. In fact, one of the big sources of, of, or one of the big products of testimony this week is that the Ontario government was just so disengaged from this process. There was this record of a phone call between Justin Trudeau and Jim Watson during the convoy where they're like, they're all just like trashing Doug Ford for like not wanting to get involved for political reasons. So it's actually quite sad because Doug Ford does this whole buddy-buddy routine talking about how great Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland are. And behind his back, they're talking about how terrible he is and they don't like him and don't respect what he's doing. And uh, he's not their ally on this issue, even though publicly uh, Ford is saying he supports this thing. But we haven't yet found anyone who wanted this thing and asked for it, who asked the government to do it. So we're left with this idea that the government was the one that wanted it on its own. The government wanted to do it. And we've been hearing all sorts of testimony for the last two days. Yesterday was particularly insightful because we heard from Steve Kanellakis, who's the Ottawa city manager, and also Serge Arpin, who's the chief of staff to Jim Watson. And they were talking about their negotiations with the convoy leaders, with the convoy organizers. Negotiations that, by the way, resulted in a successful agreement to relocate trucks onto Wellington Street, away from residential neighborhoods. Uh, an agreement we talked about on the show back in February when it came out. And they all said, yeah, 
And what we heard this morning and what we heard yesterday, most notably, was that it wasn't the convoy protesters that pulled the plug on that agreement. What it was was the Parliamentary Protective Service that didn't like it. And then the Ottawa police, which moved to an enforcement posture once the Emergencies Act came into play. So they were the ones that pulled the plug on this deal, not the members of the convoy. And these things are so critical because right now I have seen no evidence, no evidence of an actual emergency, no evidence of a bona fide emergency, certainly not one that would justify these unprecedented powers by the federal government. And we've just been hearing about the effect on the ground in Ottawa. We haven't even been hearing testimony yet on the bank account freezes. We heard a little bit from the government in Ottawa about how they really were having trouble getting tow truck drivers because tow truck drivers were not wanting to tow trucks because they were sympathetic to the convoy. And I did a, an interview that you'll see tonight with Ezra Levant at Rebel News. And Ezra pointed out that the ability to just commandeer a tow truck, which the federal government claimed it needed the Emergencies Act for, actually exists in the criminal code as it is. So it wasn't even like needing to just conscript tow truck drivers against their will to get involved was something that needed the Emergencies Act. It was the bank account freezes. And that's the part we haven't actually gotten to yet. And the government can try to muddle this as much as they want. The government can try to make this an inquiry into the convoy. They can try to string up Tamara Leach. They can try to make this all about the protesters that were fed up with vaccine mandates. But they cannot hide from their own role in this. And what they did is decide that the right to protest no longer exists. The right to peacefully assemble no longer exists. That the government's refusal to engage with people is supposedly the way you respond to a problem and then you go to the last resort despite not even having given the courtesy of a conversation along the way. And I don't know if there's going to be a smoking gun of some kind that shows some wrongdoing by government. That summary I talked to earlier, I talked about earlier of the phone call between Justin Trudeau and Jim Watson. It was like a page and a half and there were several lines redacted, including some like mid-sentence where they just start redacting something. And you look at that and you say, what is it that they're hiding? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe Jim Watson said something about his kids in there that is not supposedly for public consumption. But already, you're starting to see areas where the government is just concealing little bits and pieces. The government doesn't want there to actually be the accountability that we know is required. Now, I'll tell people, as much as I don't think the government has a leg to stand on on this invocation of the Emergencies Act, I also would be remiss to not point out that this is just one of a number of battles that is right now underway. Constitutional challenges, criminal cases, uh, numerous, numerous constitutional challenges, by the way, and not just by people who were charged, but by civil liberties groups like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the Canadian Constitution Foundation, the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. The government of Alberta is engaged in that battle as well. Uh, Jason Kenney joined, and now Danielle Smith, the premier, has decided to continue that. So these are all very important distinctions and discussions here. This is just one particular battle. But I maintain it's the simplest one and has the clearest question. Was this a national emergency? Was this a national emergency? Was this something that had espionage and sabotage? Or did it just have phantom honking and microaggressions? 
which sound comical. It does. And, and I mean, laugh at it. It's going to be a long seven weeks. You got to have some fun with it. But the fact that that was being entertained is an example to me of, of the attempt by a lot of the people that applied to appear as witnesses to really muddy the waters here and try to inject a bunch of extraneous detail that may help paint a picture, but doesn't really help the commissioner reach that fundamental finding of whether the government's use of the Emergencies Act was appropriate or whether it was inappropriate. And that's a very simple question. I want to play a clip from Brendan Miller here. He is the lawyer representing the convoy protesters appearing. He talks about what the Emergencies Act is actually meant to be used for, and it's not protests with bouncy castles. Good morning. Uh, my name is Brendan Miller of Foster LLP, and I am counsel to Freedom Corp, which is an organization that represents the protesters of which attended Ottawa in January and February of 2022. Uh, my colleague, Ms. Beth Sheba Vandenberg of Foster LLP is my co-counsel on this matter, as well as the solicitors of record, uh, both Mr. Keith Wilson, King's counsel, as well as Ms. Eva Chipiuk, uh, who is counsel to the convoy. Uh, with respect to uh, sort of everyone's given an overview of the theory of their case, it is our view that there was no justification whatsoever to invoke the Emergencies Act. The Emergencies Act requires several things. One, it could be invoked due to espionage and sabotage. Are you going to hear any evidence about espionage and sabotage? The answer to that is no. Two, it could be invoked on the basis of clandestine or deceptive foreign influence, or foreign influence that involves a threat to a person. Are you going to hear evidence about that? The answer to that is no. It also could be invoked on the basis of threats or use of acts of serious violence against persons or property. Are you going to hear evidence of violence against persons or property? The answer is no. Lastly, it can also be invoked if there is a group or persons trying to destroy or overthrow by violence the system of government of Canada. Are you going to hear evidence about individuals trying to do that? The answer is no. And the answer is, is that there was no reasonable and probable grounds to invoke the Emergencies Act and that the government exceeded their jurisdiction, both constitutionally and legislatively, in doing so. Thank you. I actually have to correct Brendan Miller. Now, I am not a lawyer, but if I were a lawyer, I would call him my learned friend. Uh, my, my learned friend, I believe, got it wrong. It, it's espionage, sabotage, inflatable hot tubs. Yeah. Now, I, again, I, you have to look really, really closely, but there is a section of the Emergencies Act that inflatable hot tubs uh, or espionage or sabotage or threats to the sovereignty and security of Canada. So I guess when you look really, really closely, you realize that uh, the convoy doesn't have a leg to stand on. I am kidding, of course. You have to say that before you get like the fake news label appended to anything you do now. Uh, bouncy castles, not in there. Saunas, not in there. Inflatable hot tubs, not in there. So right now we're looking at a heavy-handed approach, so heavy-handed, in fact, that even Paul Champ, who's the lawyer representing the Freedom Convoy protest, or sorry, not the Freedom Convoy protesters, the residents of Ottawa that say they were 
put out by this. Uh, even Paul Champ is an opponent of the use of the Emergencies Act. And I think that's actually quite an important little uh, divide here. And he said that's not his client's position. Lawyers sometimes take on positions that aren't uh, their own personal views, not, uh, not suggesting there's anything wrong about that. But I'm saying that the idea that the Emergencies Act was wrong is a pretty widespread, widespread belief that expands far beyond simple support for or membership in the Freedom Convoy. And it's an early, early stage here. And I, I want to stress this. And when I talked to Keith Wilson last week on the show, he said sometimes it's going to be very annoying when you're hearing testimony that is going basically unchallenged because this is not adversarial. It's meant to be a fact-finding operation. So that is, I think, very critical here. We're not seeing objections. We're not trying to make people cry on the stand. We're not doing any of that. What they're doing is trying to get a sense of what the truth is. And it's going to be interesting for some people like Tamara Leach and Chris Barber that have not to this point been able to tell their stories to be able to tell their stories for the first time and address some of these things. But right now, we have a protest that by the standards of the Ottawa police and the city of Ottawa from their early communications was peaceful, was always promised to be peaceful, a little bit disjointed at times, but not actually anything that anyone in any of these early conversations linked to violence. So the issue that's being raised is the idea that it turned into what they call an occupation. Now that word is a very tricky one because even then it does not appear in the Emergencies Act. No one has been able to answer the question to this point. Now, to be honest, no one has even asked the question of when this protest became illegal. Jim Watson, for his part, said in his testimony this morning that, yeah, you know, he thinks this would have been unacceptable even if it lasted a day, but he concedes there is a right to protest. Well, how, how magnanimous of you, Mayor Watson. But even beyond that, okay, if it would have been justifiable maybe for a day, maybe for two days, maybe if it just went through the weekend, at what point would it have become illegal? Two days, three days, five days, a week? At what point is it illegal? And that is such a critical question. So I'm going to ask it again. If the Freedom Convoy was a legitimate protest for a time and then morphed into something illegal, at what point did that happen and more importantly, why? Or was it always illegal, but our tolerance is a little bit more flexible for those first couple of days? These are very critical questions because fundamentally the situation didn't change. The convoy was the same on day 22 as it was on day one. There was still music, there was still a dance party, there were still trucks, there were still thousands of people. The makeup of the protest didn't change. It didn't become more violent, it didn't become more unruly, it didn't become more riotous, it didn't become more threatening. So if you want to say that this was a peaceful protest at the outset and then became a national emergency, you actually have to make very clear that you explain to Canadians why that is the case. And so far, no one has done that. No one in policing has done that. No one at the federal government, the provincial government, or the municipal government has done that. At what point did this thing become illegal? I don't think you can answer that because I'm not sure it ever was. 
We will have another show tomorrow. We'll give you the latest of the Public Order Emergency Commission. Let me know what you think, because this is going to be going on for seven weeks. So I don't know if you want every single show to be about this. If you want me to do what I did today, which is share some clips, share some analysis, and uh, share an interview or two with some of the people involved. Or if you want me to like just confine this to a 15-20 minute segment at the end of every show and talk about all these other things. This is a bit of a test balloon in that sense. So do let me know in the comments what you think. And if you are watching on YouTube, we are so, so, so close to getting to 100,000 subscribers. So please, please, if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you are on Facebook, at the end of the show, go to YouTube, go to True North, and then hit the subscribe button there. Uh, this is something that is very, very important because only a few independent media outlets get that privilege of crossing that 100,000 subscriber threshold, and we want to be among them. We think we're kind of cool. Uh, also, if you are enjoying the work we're putting out, uh, please do head on over to donate.tnc.news, and lots of great things happening. I have to put in a plug. He's going to be on the show soon enough. But Anthony Fury, the legend of Canadian media, has just joined True North as our VP of content and editorial, which I am so thrilled by. I've known Anthony for many, many years. I used to have him on my old radio show. I have written for him when he was the editor at the Toronto Sun. And now he is like jumping whole hog into new media. And he's going to be our VP of uh, editorial and content. I think I got it backwards. So I hope he doesn't fire me. But uh, Anthony, Anthony is going to do some great things at True North. He's always been a, a valued member of the team, and I hope you will all give him a huge welcome to the True North team in his new and improved and expanded role. Uh, so, Anthony, welcome. Looking forward to working with you and all of you tuning in. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.